You're listening to The Wrong Station Pledge Drive. The Wrong Station is only possible with the support of listeners like you. Become a subscriber today by visiting patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You'll receive access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes discussions, our new book club, and so much more. Today, The Wrong Station is proud to present Dogs by Alexander Saxton. Their quiet trailer, her mother bent over her mending in the chrome frame, split vinyl chair in the little galley kitchen. Cracked vinyl tiles on the floor and walls, all in a 70s shade of beige. And outside, yellow after twilight and the upper green. Her mother barely looked up from the hunch that slowly compressed her into a crone. There's no dogs on my island, Shelley. But every night for the last week, when she'd risen before dawn to drive forty minutes down the winding, unlit road to lawns of pines, she'd heard them howling in the woods, distant, dimly over the far hills, strange and giddy and gleeful. Maybe someone brought them over from the mainland. Nobody'd be that stupid. Arthritic fingers drove her needle up through a torn elbow. It'd get twenty years. But each night that Shelley heard them, she thought the dogs were getting closer. Well, then maybe they swam. Her mother snorted. <laughs> well, maybe they did. Ma Island was several miles from the mainland, separated by a choppy strait. However the dogs had gotten there, they hadn't swum. I'm not crazy, you know, Mum. Of course you are. Small, bright scissors snipped a thread. You're your father's daughter. The next morning, in the blue light that comes before the dawn, she was riding the old pickup down along those winding roads to Lons of Pines, when something on the tarmac ahead forced her to slow. It was still barely bright enough to see, and out beyond the headlights, whatever it was just looked like a dark heap against the slight reflection of the damp road. A fallen branch, maybe, or a few stones which had rolled down from the dynamited ridge of shield rock through which the road had been carved on that side. Except that she already felt a low, sick horror rising in the back of her throat. Without even knowing what she was looking at, some part of her brain had begun to panic. It took her several seconds of sitting in the darkness of the pickup cab and breathing heavily before she was brave enough to flick on the high beams. Then it all sprang out in color, the blue vagueness banished by hard white light and shocking scarlet. An animal, dismembered, unrecognizable, its vivid innards scattered twenty meters down the road. That night when she came home, her mother wasn't in the trailer. The door was unlocked and everything inside untouched her mother's mending neatly folded on the cracked seat of the little galley kitchen table. Mom? No answer. Outside the sun was down around the world's rim, the woods already getting dark. Mom? She listened a long moment, only silent mutters from the wind in the woods. Her heart began to tap like the light hammer of an old alarm, doing her best to control ragged breath she went to the vinyl-topped bench behind the dining nook and opened it, 
digging through years of yellow appliance manuals and old grocery bags to find a heavy flashlight. The weight of it was good in her hands, and the heavy thunk of its bottom, the sudden blare of its powerful beam, comforted her. There was a gun locker tucked in the back of the trailer's shallow closet. After a moment's hesitation, she fumbled for the keys in her pocket and unlocked the door. Two shotguns and a hunting rifle waited for her inside. She took the good gun and a pocket full of shotgun shells, cracked the breech as she stood in the trailer door and racked two shells home. The light outside was failing fast, blue shadows growing black beneath the clawed silhouettes of trees. She wandered down the crunching gravel path to where the water hookup rose like a cobra from the earth, but saw no sign of her mother anywhere. She drew a breath to call out, but then stopped herself. Some instinct said it would be safer to keep her mouth shut. Another fifty meters down the track, the gravel gave way to bogs. That was the next place she had decided to check, when she heard that little click in the woods, just off to her right, in the shadow of the black pines, the kind of insignificant sound you always ignore at noon, but never at twilight. The moment she heard that click... Her mind was made up completely. Instead of heading to the bog, she turned around, quite calmly, quite casual, and began to walk back up toward the trailer, toward the truck. Then came another small noise in the woods, now behind her. She didn't turn back to look, but knew with cold certainty that whatever it was had stepped right out to the edge of the trees and was standing there, watching her. All but in the open, just wanting her to look so it could see the fear in her eyes and know for sure that she was prey before it hurled itself at her throat. But she didn't turn, knew better than to turn, just walked toward her truck slowly and with controlled breaths, counting out the steps. The dim old pickup right ahead of her by now, its rusty paint purplish in the dying light, unlocked because she lived far enough out in the sticks that... You just kept it unlocked. Fifteen steps away by now. Now twelve. Now ten. She heard a sound behind her. A low, barking grunt made deep in the chest. She didn't turn. A louder bark. Her final chance. She sprang forward, dropping flashlight and gun, and a bang howl split the night, and hard paws churned the gravel behind her. She had her hand on the door handle, and there were more howls in the woods nearby. She flung the door open and threw herself inside and ripped it shut, just as a heavy body struck and bounced back, denting the door. And then her vehicle was surrounded on all sides by huge dogs, slavering and wild yellow-eyed, with pin-white teeth flashing from black gums in the twilight. She locked the doors instinctively and started the truck as another dog bounced against the passenger side door, and another leaped up onto the hood, and another hurled itself full speed to splinter the driver's side glass, unhurt but enraged as it bounced off. The dogs were big, mastiff-sized, but with heavy, angled skulls and the bodybuilder tautness of pit bulls, and their domed skulls were tonsured with what looked like scar tissue, and all had heavy wing-like growths that humped from their shoulders. Their noise was unbelievable. 
The latch on the passenger side door clacked, and she threw the truck into drive, stamping the pedal so that she peeled out, running over one of the fucking things as one on the hood tried to keep its footing but fell, only to bounce up again and run snapping and gnashing alongside as she thundered for the road. Some distance away, inside the ex-hotel, everything was tastefully beige, from the hardwood floors to the mid-century furniture to the crisp uniforms of deference staff to the monumental vaults of its pseudo-brutalist main atrium. Beige, beige, beige. By the wide twilight window of the lounge, a good-looking man in his fifties was reclined in a Sergio Rodriguez chair, admiring the yellow light of twilight over the black pines of the park across the street. A tumbler of flawless proportion was hanging between his finger and thumb, octagonal bricks of ice and an orange peel twist. He drank as his phone rang, but did not answer right away, instead taking time to savor the tawny flavors, the bittersweet complexity of the cocktail. A boulevardier. As the phone reached its anxious final verse, he deigned to answer. <sighs> Draft. A dimly heard voice on the other end, shrill with panic. Draft listened with faint amusement. Oh my, he responded after a moment. Well, that was irresponsible of you, wasn't it? More from the panicked voice. Draft took a sip of Boulevardier and chewed it for a moment. Bitterness and warmth. At last he answered. Well, listen, let's be rational about this. Obviously, it's not what we intended to happen, and we took all reasonable steps to prevent it. But now that it has happened, we may as well make the best of it. Incredulity from the other end of the line. Draft had to smile. Getting all worked up isn't going to solve anything. The horse has left the barn, so to speak. Just think of it as... He swirled one wrist. A kind of unofficial field test bewildered and apoplectic objections. I am taking it seriously, he said with a laugh. But all we can do is what we can do. Now, as soon as I get off the phone, I'm going to call for a team to go clean things up. But it's going to take a couple of days for them to get there. Another objection. Well, that's how long it takes to put these things together, you know. Something from the other end that sounded like a frantic accusation. The handsome man's smile soured and now a tinge of threat colored his voice. There's no need to throw around slanderous accusations, Keen. It isn't going to do you any good. Now, the best thing you can do is hold tight, stay put, and gather as much drone footage as you can. Obviously, you're going above and beyond here, and the board will take that into consideration. Next quarter. But for now, you have your marching orders. Are they clear? Outraged silence from the other end. Then, a faint acceptance. Good. And, to be crystal, those orders do not involve contacting anyone. I will remind you of your NDA, which is still very much in force. A mutter. Good. Hang tight, King. Call it 48 hours. Listen for helicopters. He hung up without waiting to hear anything else Keen might have to say. Then sat once more at ease in his plush chair, watching the reflection of a waitress young enough to be his daughter in the now-dark glass of the Hotel X. 
He finished his drink, and not a thing in the world bothered him that night. Now, twilight was coming back in, and Shelley, along with a handful of other survivors, was crouched by the second-story window of the Launce of Pines paper building. At the bottom of the street, the road gave way to pier and open water. A couple of rust-spotted fishing vessels bobbed at that pier. On the far side of the bay, the pines were lit up golden by the setting sun. All out of reach. She watched the sun move across them all with slow despair. Twenty hours now since they'd barricaded the stairwell. Some lucky few had managed a few hours sleep on the old hardwood, but she hadn't been one of them. The whole second story already smelled from the backroom trash bin they'd been using as a latrine. For the eleven survivors, they had two guns and eight remaining rounds of ammunition. Not even enough for suicide, let alone defense. She let her eyes drift to the dark space between the two buildings opposite her window. One dog was lying half-visible in the shadows of a dumpster, its eyes gleaming points in the darkness underneath its brow. A pair of dead dogs had been lying in the road a few hours ago, but their comrades seemed to have dragged them off. A curious sort of thing, she thought, for dogs to do. Now that the light was fading again, more of the humped silhouettes could be spotted loping and lurking at the edges of the Lance of Pine's sixty-foot main drag. Bolder now that it had been several hours since one of them had been shot, now that the predatory hour was setting in. She felt an incredible heaviness, even though she knew they were safe up there. She wasn't sure why. Then, as the sun's last red sliver vanished behind the black fangs of the surrounding hills, a great blue shadow threw itself across the town of Lance of Pines, and all at once the hounds came out, their yellow eyes agleam, those strange humps on their shoulders swaying in unison as they descended on the barricaded building. Gord, Tessie. The couple with the other guns looked up as she murmured their names. They were leathery boomers, dressed in plaid. Him with a skunk-colored belt-length beard, her with sunspots in her cleavage. Shelley had known them most of her life and barely ever shared a word with them. But in the last twenty hours, they'd become tight-knit friends. Without a word, they joined her at the window. Christ, muttered Gord. Below, eighteen dogs were all gathered at the front shop of the paper building, staring up at the three of them with yellow eyes. You know what this means, right? Tessie murmured. Means they know we can't afford to shoot him. Bullshit, said Gord. But he sounded unconvincing. They're just dogs, Tess. But Shelley felt her hands go cold and her grip sweaty on the heavy gun. And she looked down at the dogs, which had turned into black outlines in the falling night. All except for the flat yellow points of their night eyes. And they looked back up at her. And she knew that Tess was right. And even if they did, Gord's voice trembled a little. There's still no way they're getting to us up here. But at that moment, one of the largest dogs stepped forward. And it was doing something strange with its shoulders. Some sort of rolling, limbering motion. Almost comic. Which they couldn't quite make out in the deepening dark. Then those humped shoulders widened and stretched 
and spread, almost like wings. No, no, not wings, Shelley realized, as the black of her pupils spread to meet the black of night. Those are arms, and those black pinions are the hands and thumbs. My God, said Tessie, as the other shoulders began to strain and stretch and reach. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And though they all had guns, the three just stood in silent shock as the first dog leaped against the building's face and began to climb. When all was said and done, and the helicopters had blown through, and the sound of guns and whining dogs had died out, leaving Ma Island in silence, in utter silence, Draft sat by himself in the back of a gunship, flicking through some of the footage Keen had collected while shitting himself and losing his mind in a locked panic room for the last four days. Even for him, in his cool gray suit, in his cool and lightly medicated state of mind, it was pretty bracing stuff. He found, despite a slightly mocking inner dialogue, that he couldn't bring himself to look at it for long. He tossed down the tablet beside him and closed his eyes. The footage kept playing, however, projected against the black screen of his mind's eye. And so he didn't look down as the helicopters swept away back over the sound. If he had, he might have spotted a dark speck down in the moonlit spread of silver water, leaving a long wedge of wake. A lone bitch dog, swimming slow and tireless out toward the mainland shore with a steady breaststroke. She had a long, long way to go before she made land, and the straight, swift-moving water was cold in her white teeth. But she was bound to make it, resolved to make it. Underneath the water, her womb was full, and in the darkness inside, small white teeth awaited their chance to shine yellow with twilight.